1: What is happening, everybody? This is Bob Wankel along with Anthony Sanfilippo. We have a fresh episode of Crossed Up for everybody out there. Fresh off of a three game sweep at home, the hands of the lowly Miami Marlins. The Marlins outhit the Phillies today by a 16 4 margin. It's the first time the Phillies have been swept at Citizens Bank Park by the fish. Since 2009 the Phillies have lost 9 out of 10. They are 6 in 16 in their last 22 6 and 14 this month the worst record in the National League and only the Orioles and Tigers who are trying to lose on purpose Or have been worse than the Phillies in the month of June. They have lost now 10 games in the standings dating back to May 29th and this has been an unmitigated disaster Anthony, what the hell is going on? Can this team salvage this or are we just. No. Is it over? Is it yeah. over yes. on June 23rd? Yes. It's over. It is. No division, no wild card. Well, the, divi-
0: the division is absolutely 100% out of reach. I'm telling a six you. Six and that. a half game deficit on June 23rd. We're done. But be- so. It- Mathematically, no. Obviously, you know I'm, I'm the guy who always sits there and says, well, that's a lot of season left. Six and a half games, that's not a lot. But the fact is, is that you are seeing two teams trending in complete opposite directions. And to turn it around, to, just to the kind of baseball that this team would have to play for the remainder of the season, assuming Atlanta's a 500 team for the rest of the season, is something that they have not really been able to do this year. So they're not catching the Braves. They're just not. It's just not going to happen. Um th- they're, the wild card is I guess still in play because the rest of the National League is not that great. There's a lot of mediocrity in, in the National League. So I mean, I guess it's still in play, but I, I Bob, I'm just dis- I'm so dis- distraught over the fact that this team can't figure out how to how to fix itself. And it's more disconcerting that it happened. We saw it happen last year, and they couldn't figure it out. They brought in a whole bunch of new players who were supposed to make it, prevent that from happening, and it's happening all over again. That's what's really, really concerning to me.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can look at what has happened here over the last two weeks. And, I mean, it it seems like a different season Two weeks ago, we sat here and we watched the Phillies let a sweep of the Cincinnati Reds kind of slip through their fingers. That's where this team was at, you know? You're like, man, you got Aaron Noel in the mouth, 3-1 lead late in the game. They're going to sweep the Reds. Everything's rolling. And they lost that game, and they just haven't been the same since. They lost two out of three to Arizona. Then they go on the road, and things start hitting the fan, and they it, it just can't get their traction back. And... Even if you watch this series kind of progress throughout the course of the weekend, you have this great ceremony with Chase Elliott on a picturesque night. They score what? One run. They, they let the go-ahead run score on an error by Scott Kingery. They come back yesterday. They hit a couple homers, Hoskins and Harper, back-to-back early on. Vince Velasquez gives them quality five innings. Bullpen blows it. And then today, Angel De Los Santos didn't give him a chance, and the Phillies had four hits. And you just look at the series into totality, and you go, this is the Miami Marlins. Now, granted, they're 20-15 and 15 in their last 35 games. They've been much better for the last month, a little bit over the last month. But this is still the Miami Marlins. You're still supposed to be one of the better teams in the league. You're at home, coming off a sweep to the Nationals and losing two out of three to the Braves. You're talking about your manager's job being on the line, and that's the performance you give? I mean, four hits today? Four, four goddamn hits? I mean, it's just, it's perplexing, and we can, and we will, and you know we're going to talk a lot about, you know, whose job's on the line here, what can they do, what are the corrective measures that this team can take, we'll talk about what Gabe Kapler had to say after the game today, we'll get into all that, but I mean, just every number that you look at, it's just baffling, you know, I sat down there on Friday night, and after the game, I asked Gabe Kapler, I said, you guys, dating back to last Sunday, are 6 for 40 with runners in scoring position, I said... Are you seeing anything? Are you seeing anything specific in these at bats? You know, is there any corrective action that you are advising to your hitters because they're not producing with men on base? And he turns around and he says, "Well, you know, Bryce Harper hit the ball 105 miles an hour on that fourth inning flyout with the bases loaded, it got caught up in the wind." And I say, "Okay, like that's one, that's one situation, but this is a team wide epidemic." You go in and you include this series now; they're ten for their last seventy five with runners in scoring position. Yes, they are. That's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. The Marlins came into this series with the lowest OPS in all of Major League Baseball. They were 29th in runs scored. They had 16 hits today, and they added another five walks. 21 of their guys reached base. If the Phillies didn't turn five double plays, they could have easily lost this game 13-14 to three or four today. I mean, they could have been 10 run in this game. That's how bad this is. Yes, it is. It's crazy, and it's almost baffling to me that a team that played up to what eleven? What are they? Eleven or twelve games over five hundred? Was that the high water mark?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, how does a team go from being pretty solid, certainly one that we understood had deficiencies, to being this
0: god awful? It's just
1: crazy.
0: You you, you are <laughs> what you are. Uh, and th- Are they average? Are they a 500 team? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of underperformance. We know this. And you can go throughout the lineup, and you're going to find everybody underperforming, okay, uh, with the exception of Kingery. Um And I guess Hoskins. And he can't play third base, by yeah, the way. I don't know if he's got base.
1: the yips now or what, but he can't right. make a, a throw from third base.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's bad. It's crazy.
1: Uh, <laughs> That's going to be the word I use. I think I've already used the word crazy six minutes into this thing, but it's it's, it's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> it's really unbelievable. <laughs> it is. Um, and then I guess Hoskins has been just, you know, okay. But, again, yeah, who else? Who else in this lineup is, is doing anything? So, yeah, there's a lot of underperformance. But it really has to – I'm telling you, Bob, I, you know, we. I've been, I said it last week and, and I'm going to say it again now. There really needs to be some it, – somebody needs to come out and, and address – what the hell's happening with this team from upstairs something somebody Matt Clentack needs to face the music i would love to see middleton come out and and start calling people on the carpet like just start fi- i mean this is this is a, a mess
1: yeah so it, i mean we'll talk about jobs and who should keep their job and who shouldn't and and we'll get there but i agree with you i think at this point at least give me a vote of confidence in Gabe Kapler. Come out and say, like, this is what we're going to do. You know, we're underperforming right now. We're going to stick together. We believe in Gabe. Like, someone has to emerge above Gabe Kapler and say something of substance. Yeah. Like where is John Middleton? Where is Matt Clentak? Where's Andy McPhail? I don't even understand what Andy McPhail does. Is he is he just a guy that that is on the payroll or that you put him on the top scroll of your letterhead to make your team look more polished? You know that like we have this well established man on staff. Like what is Andy McPhail's function? Someone has to step up and say this isn't what's going right. We expected this. This is why it hasn't happened. This is how we're going to fix it. Or say. You know jobs are on the line or give that vote of confidence i mean there just has to be something this silence that we're getting it, it really does remind me of what brett brown went through a couple of years ago with the sixers where it was just things are falling apart you don't really know who's in charge you don't know what the sentiment of the organization is i think we all understand that this is awful and i think the phillies run the risk of not only running themselves out of contention in 2019 I think we're flirting with that scenario, even though there's more than half the season left. And you could just say, hey, listen, it's a rough stretch. But I think this is starting to certainly flirt with disaster. But not only that, I think that you're on the brink of losing your fans. Now, if the Phillies come out and sweep the Mets this week in a four-game series, then, then okay. But the, the thing that I think you're starting to see when you look at how the fans are reacting to this team is just it's utter disgust. And pretty soon it's going to turn to apathy, and then they're going to be right back where they were in 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, and so on. That's where they're trending.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we hit apathy right away, though, Bob. I think, that, I think that what happens here is that everybody got so built up for this season with all the changes that were made um, that I think that there is going to be a lot of anger and, and, and vol- vocal anger for a while. Uh, maybe the remainder of the season. Maybe. Then, yeah, maybe. Then, we'll, then we might see the apathy, you know, late, in, you know, maybe September. But, uh, but boy, they're the, this fan base is pissed, and they deserve to – and they're right to be pissed. Um, the team is just not living up to any level of expectation.
1: it, it, it and I don't think that they were they were selling something they didn't believe in. Like, I don't think when Matt Klementak came out no. and said we had an objectively good offseason, or that John Middleton said all of the things that he said, I, there was a belief in this organization that they were making the postseason this year.
0: Yeah, there was a belief. They did. So, they but, are but, stunned by what's happening here. Well, you know what though, Bob? This is this is where I have a problem with it because y- you're right. You're right. They did. The, and they did, they they you know put this spotlight on themselves they were smelling themselves in the off season, and I think that they kind of just they missed the boat a lot they real they missed what what really you know is the lifeblood of good teams and they miss the fact that you need depth because you're going to have injuries they they miss the fact that that you have to construct a 40 man roster not just a 25 man roster that went out the window they completely just you know bought into went all in with their chips, you know, trying to bluff with the pitching staff that they had, which I I don't know how many more times I could say it because I feel like I'm I'm a broken record. But I've been saying since the offseason this pitching staff is not good enough, and it still is not. Even even with a few good starts this past in, you know week in this stretch, you know Nola gave him a great start, Velazquez gave him a great start, uh, Arietta gave him a great start. As, aside from that, those three. Zach Eflin gave him a good Aflin start. Gave him a good start. That's right. But I'm just saying like. The whole – the pitching staff as a whole is just not right. And, yeah, okay, there's injuries in the bullpen. I, I don't care. If that bullpen was 100% healthy this year without any injuries, I'm not sure how much better – I mean, it would be better, but I'm not sure – I mean, yeah, this current bullpen, I think, is ERA is like over six in the last 12 years. You know,
1: it's amazing. So, Vince Velasquez starts the game on Saturday and goes five innings, only allows one run. And then he's backed up by – I guess they went to Adam Morgan first – uh, Maybe Nicasio was in that game Nicasio as well. Was, yeah, Nacasio and Morgan. But that then worked. at the to close out that game, you get Edobre Ramos, JD yep. Hammer, and then you come back today with Eniel de los Santos, who was terrible. And we had talked about earlier; he probably deserved a chance. And when you look at where the depth of the rotation is at this point, who's going to get that spot start? I, I was okay with seeing him over Cole Irvin, but it was more of the same. He was totally ineffective. And then they run out Edgar Garcia, who's not a major league pitcher right now. Maybe someday he will be. They talk about his slider being a plus pitch that can get out major league hitters on a consistent basis. But it's not right now. Then you come back with Ranger Suarez. Like, listen to the names that I'm throwing out at you. And we'll get to Gabe Kapler in a minute. But I look at this roster right now. The 25-man roster that completed today's game. And let me just read you these 10 names. Andrew Knapp. Sean Rodriguez, Brad Miller, Mike Franco, Roman Quinn. Then you have Garcia, Romero, Enyel De Los Santos, Hammer, Suarez. That's 10 guys. That's 40% of your roster that should be playing for the Iron Pigs. And I don't mean that as a knock on those guys individually. Like, some of them have some upside, and I'm not saying that... that in certain circumstances that they don't either have the potential to play at this level or that they don't have any business whatsoever being up here but these are guys that have either already played a prominent role in the double and triple a levels this season or could very easily find themselves there before the end of the season you're talking about 40% of your active roster not being a slam dunk major league caliber
0: player that's why that's what i you know i keep harping on the makeup of the 40-man roster is bad. It's just bad. And and that falls on the general manager. That doesn't fall on the manager. That doesn't fall on the players. It falls on the general manager. Okay? You didn't put a right the right roster together. You went out and made some nice moves, you know, even though those guys are underperforming right now. And I know you're frustrated with JT Real Muto right yeah, now. I'll get there. And we'll get to him. And I know Segura is not hitting with the way he's supposed to hit. And Harper's been uh, underwhelming. I get it, right? Um, but you but you got to give him credit for going and getting those moves to make the lineup better, but he kind of just stopped there. It was like, oh, okay, we're going to be fine now. But you're not. You're not. And look, not every team's got a 40-man roster that you could just pluck a guy off there and come up and they do great. But you look around, and the teams that are good, they always seem to have a couple of minor league players or, or, or even veterans who are uh, on the 40-man roster in the minor league that they select their contracts and bring them up. Like, that can fill in and plug in and, and do a good enough job to keep the keep the ship right. afloat.
1: Like, a guy like, such as Sean Rodriguez. Like, that type of player, but but one that performs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas you get these just god-awful at-bats, and I just it's, – it's disheartening. It really is. But and that's where I keep going back to Gabe Kapler. And I guess now we can transition ourselves to the Kapler conversation. Okay. I'm starting to feel like two things can be true. It's not Gabe Kapler's fault. Yet, if this continues, they may have to do something about it. Like, I think in sports in general, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I tweeted this, though, today toward maybe the seventh or eighth inning of the game. People get a little too quick to call for jobs. You know, fire this guy or, you know, cut this guy. That said... It is a bottom-line business. This isn't working. It's well under the expectations, the considerable expectations that people had for this team. So I like Gabe Kapler. Don't really feel like it's his fault. Sort of feel sorry for him. I just explained that 40% of the roster probably isn't of Major League caliber. That said... Cesar Hernandez yesterday in the 8th inning on Saturday. Again, fly ball down the left field line. Curtis Granderson kind of doesn't get to it. It looks like it might be fair or foul off the bat. It's a 50-50 ball. certainly looks like a ball that Granderson should get to. He doesn't. Cesar Hernandez is standing at first base. Bryce Harper comes up a batter later. Double play. Clean inning. Again, we talked about it in the last episode. I'm not a big hustle guy. I don't think you're a real big hustle guy. We understand that these guys aren't going to bust their ass down the line every single time. We get this. But we talked about it with Harper and Hoskins a couple weeks ago against the Reds. We've talked about Gene Segura's issues recently. And then you see this play with the Phillies down late in the game on the verge of, of solidifying a series loss to an inferior opponent, and he's not busting it out of the box. And you go... You know, if they really do like Gabe Kapler and they really do truly respect him, at some point you do have to say, you can't have any more of these my bads, whoops, you know, sorry, Gabe. You you just got to do it. And it just, once or twice in isolation, it's okay. But I cannot believe again that this is a conversation.
0: It happened again today, Bob. It happened again today with Cesar Hernandez, on first base, slow tapper to second, and he doesn't slide into second base.
1: They were talking about that on the radio broadcast, and they kind of cut him a break saying that you can't barrel down on guys. You're not allowed to put Whoa. pressure on the middle infielders anymore. Know, so they, gave were, him a, they gave so him a pass. I don't know if
0: you saw So you were listening on the radio. I did, yeah, at that they point. Were, they were not giving it a pass on TV. No, uh, they got, they got <laughs> no, him a little Schmid, bit. Yeah. Schmitty was all over him. Not only that, Schmitty said, for all of you young guys, watch, young kids watching this game at home, the, what, that play that you just saw, if you're not sure, you always slide. Yeah. And and that's it. And so it was he would have been safe had he slid. There's no doubt about it. When you if you get a chance to watch, go back and watch the play. He absolutely one hundred percent because it was a close play with him not sliding. And so if he would have slid, he would have been in. But there again, now is that I wouldn't say that was a lack of hustle, but he did he did slow he didn't think the play was coming to second. So he kind of pulled up and just kind of was like stopping at the bag as opposed to Sliding into the bag to try and guarantee that he was going to be safe. Did you read Phil Kydell's piece on
1: CrossingBroad.com today? I did not, no. I got to say, uh, Phil and I fundamentally disagree on a lot when it comes to the Phillies. He's a big, he is the hustle guy.
0: Like he's, you're going to make me go look this up now. He's right?
1: that man, but... Uh, I I disagree with him for most of the season, but he made a really good point. He says, you know, now Gabe Kapler sort of boxed himself, and he he acknowledged the injuries, he acknowledged all the contextual factors that have kind of led the Phillies to where they're at from a talent perspective. He says, you know, now you have Cesar Hernandez, who doesn't bust it out of the box in a critical situation, and you can't do anything about it because you didn't do anything about it before. So you've now kind of essentially said this is what's acceptable. So it really was no surprise when Cesar Hernandez was in the lineup today. And again, I would always tell you that my slant, my lean is that you shouldn't bench guys for stuff like that. But you do wonder now, is this an epidemic? Is this something that, or is it just something that really isn't happening any more frequently than it did the first two and a half months of the season? It's just that we're so laser focused on it now. Every little misstep is kind of getting blown up and maybe that's no, part of it. I mean if the Phillies scored 9 runs today, I don't think that we'd be bitching about this. If if the Phillies had won 4 of their last 6 games and took business uh, care of business in Washington and Atlanta and they they rolled at home this weekend, would we really care so much if well, they weren't busting it down the line? But well, when you compound it with this hideous brand of baseball, it's exacerbated.
0: Well, this is what you're saying, right? So so the fact is is that you're you're right. You, most people will gloss over something that is a uh, an indiscretion like that uh, if you're putting up a lot of runs if you're winning games whatever it, it kind of gets you know lost in the shuffle a little bit and of course when things are going bad it's going to be magnified there's no doubt about it but the fact of the matter is is that people like you and I who are sitting there watching these games and looking for these things we're going we're going to see it right so we're going to notice it w- whether it's uh, good or bad you know the outcome of the game um, and, and we're going to talk about it If it's warranted, so you're right. So if, if this kind of, if Cesar Hernandez doesn't bust it out of the box and only stops at first, but the Phillies win the game nine to two, it's not even going to come up in the conversation of this, of this podcast. We might say something. Hey, did you notice Cesar didn't run hard? Okay. Yeah. Big deal. But, you know, at the same time, it's not going to be discussed. But when the team is losing game after game after game after game, you're trying to find reasons as to why this is happening. And you see that this continues to fester, that this is a problem within the organization. You have to understand and say, okay, this clubhouse has has got a problem right now. And what that problem is is not being addressed by the man in charge of the team. And this is what I said on this podcast last week, Bob, and I'll say it again one more time just in case people missed it last week, is that it's my complaint about the manager. I I can nitpick about his lineups. I can nitpick about how he uses the bullpen. I can nitpick about who pinch hits when, all that stuff. And, and while I can make a valid argument, that's fine in and of itself. It, 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 that's not costing you games. But what's costing you games is an inability to control your your clubhouse, an inability to have the leadership skills required to, to send a message and get these guys playing for you. They don't play for Gabe Kapler. They don't. It's, it's, that's why when you said to me at the start of this podcast, is it over? And I said, yes, it's because that's what I see. This team does not play for their manager. And if that's the reason why a change is needed there, then I'm okay with it. I, I wouldn't make a change because you sit there and say, oh, oh, he doesn't use the bullpen right, or he doesn't make the lineup right. I, okay, I, I may agree with you that he may, doesn't do that, but th- to me that's not a fireable offense. But not being able, and twice now I've seen it in two different seasons with the same manager and a different collective of players, some of them the same, but a different collective, and it hasn't been rectified in either instance, to me, that's that says this isn't going to work. Whether it's now, the end of the season, next year, two years from now, I'm just going to sit here and tell you today, on June 23rd, 2019, it's not going to work with him in the dugout, plain and simple. So I struggle with it, because now I'll go back
1: to the numbers, and you say that they don't play for him, and you can cite these examples, we talked about them, and I'll say, okay, like I'm starting to buy into that. You know that I've been more resistant to to that take in the past. But it's really hard for me to sit here after losing 9 out of 10 and watching this team just play this listless brand of baseball over the last two weeks to sit here and say, yeah, you know, I think they got Gabe's back. Like When I'm down in that clubhouse, I I don't get the sense that there's a a dislike or a distrust between the players and the coaching staff. If there is, it's certainly not something that you can see. It's not visible. You don't hear it in their voices. It seems like a... It's, it doesn't seem as if there's a dislike for the manager. But maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe it's not about like-dislike. It's, it's just about
0: response. It's. it's right, exactly. You just but said I'll it. say you, this. You just said it, Bob. That's what it is. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish in just a sure. second. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you, you could certainly like the guy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're playing for the guy or that the guy inspires you to play at another level. You know, it just it just could just be that that's the you know, that he doesn't have that skill from a management perspective, because, you know, I I get the sense that he spends a lot of time and this is I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he doesn't do any work. I think that he spends a lot of time that's more isolated and insular and you know going through you know going studying his, his video and studying his numbers and trying to find maybe meeting with his coaching staff then he really does out there with the players and so the players kind of say I, you know I remember when I uh, did the interview with Phil Gosselin of all people back at the you know a couple months ago and he said and he said the same thing that a couple of other players have said publicly as well Gabe just lets us be ourselves well when he when you hear that that's i mean the players think that that's a great thing he lets us be ourselves cool but does that mean that he leaves us alone? See, I can interpret it that way, and I can sit there and say, yeah, I can see that. I can see that he lets you just – it doesn't really – there's not a lot of engagement going on. You know, maybe you're text messaging somebody. talked about the t- how he texts the lineups to guys, right? Whatever. But that's not engaging with someone. Like, you need to talk to someone. You're, you've coached, right? Could you imagine if you coached your team and you didn't really talk to the players – you know, and you just maybe you just message them every once in a while. No, I mean I think that right. obviously
1: the levels are different, certainly, but, but I still, do think that you need to make a fundamental connection correct. in order to build the rapport and trust with right. your players. Yeah. And then so when you when you get on their ass, they, they say, I I know, I got you. Like yeah. I'm I'm not gonna I won't let it happen again or, you know, I, I know you believe in me, so I'm going to let you kind of chew me out a little bit right you know there's that that level of trust built in but i i will say this and and there are a couple different ways i want to go with the Kappler conversation okay so you know we talk about are they playing for him to what extent is it his fault does he not have the ability to inspire or to to bring them out of this slump okay fair question the point you've made makes total sense i'm not even really going to argue that but i will go a couple different ways with this and again, you are the more experienced guy, and I don't mean to sit here and, and be on this podcast and be like, well, I'm down in the Phillies locker room twice a week, so I really know what I'm talking about. I, I will say this, and and this is a conversation I kind of wanted to have with you off air, but since we're here and we're in full thrust, let's do Go nuts. it. You know, you've been in a lot of locker rooms over a prolonged period of time. Do you get the sense in a locker room sometimes that there's more leadership, like for you as a writer, is it more detectable, the leadership and the vibe of a locker room in certain seasons with certain teams than it is in others? Because I'll tell you, I think part of it's the way things are structured with the Phillies, but you go in after the game and you get the day's starting pitcher, he makes his comments, and then you turn around and you wait, you wait, you wait, and you go, okay, well, there's Bryce Harper. And to Bryce Harper's credit, he talks almost after every game, whether he had two hits or three walks or he was 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Everyone wants to hear from him, he always stands up, I don't think I've ever been there personally where he's refused to talk to the media. So he stands in front of the microphone and answers the questions. Reese Hoskins does it the majority of the time. Other than that, though, when you're down in that locker room and things aren't really going well, like if Adam Morgan gives up the game-winning hit that he did a couple weeks ago, I think, against the Nationals, like he stood in front of the locker and talked. But on a night-in, night-out basis, there's not a lot of guys that are, like, really present in that locker room. It's really only a handful of players. And I find that interesting. Like, very rarely, and I'll say this, like very rarely do you see J.T. Realmuto come out. And this is maybe part of my annoyance with him, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this, but... You know he's catching these guys, and very rarely is he available after the game for comment. And I know he's a catcher, and I know he's probably getting treatment, and he's on the bike, and he's lifting, and he's doing his stuff post game. You're not allowed. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly allowed to have your routine, but sometimes I just look around the locker room, and I'm like, w- w- I-, I
0: don't know. It's well, not I... a real
1: present and forthcoming <laughs> locker room.
0: Yeah, it's not. But I, I can. I will also tell you that that's a that's
1: the. F- <laughs> that's the nature of of baseball of, or of the phillies specifically the phillies. Yeah. that's the
0: nature of the phillies and has been for a long long time i mean you can go back to when they won the world series i mean right the, and that's just sort of very, how it's structured yeah it's, it's very similar um, and i bet you if you ask a couple of the, no look i i was never with them on a regular regular basis i've i've covered the phillies but um Never as a daily beat guy, but I bet if you ask the the beat guys who've been around that team for a long time, Salisbury Zalecki, um, even even guys you know, uh, even guys like uh, Gelb and you know, even Matt Breen now a couple years he's been there, I, I, you'll get the sense that that's that's just how the Phillies operate. And I don't think I don't agree with it. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good for the public. Um, it's. It, it, but it is how they do things. Well, so and now the reason, why I, not gonna the
1: reason why I bring that up, and it's not to say like, oh, if you had 20 guys that were willing to talk to the reporters every night, that that would make your clubhouse have more leadership. It's, it's not that I necessarily mean it that way, but I guess what I'm trying to figure out is we talk about the manager and, and failing to inspire. I mean, at what point, though, do you kind of look at the players and forget the, the guys that are are the fringe, you know, the, the quadruple A guys, we'll call them, well, at what point do you look at your core players and say, "Well, where's the leadership here?" You know, yeah, I guess it would be great yeah. if your manager was a uh, was a total inspiration and that you you made you know or he made you feel like, "God damn it, boys, today's the day we're gonna turn it around. Let's go get them." But at what point do you say, "Like, okay, I've got to bear down. I'm a professional here." I got to get the job done because not, that's not happening either. So You're
0: not you're not wrong, but I'll, the 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 honest answer to that is
1: You can't change the players, you can change the manager.
0: Well, you can change players, you just can't change all 25 yeah. at once. You can change one guy who's the manager. And that's often why managers and coaches in any sport really, you know, get the axe first before the blow up happens. Right. You don't usually see a manager survive a team being blown up. Right? It's usually the manager or coach goes first. And then if things don't suddenly change, then the roster changes. So, I mean, that's that's just the nature of the beast, I think, of sports, right? So, I mean, you you know, I, I made a reference to it uh, with Russ talking in hockey, and I don't want to go on to a hockey tangent here, but, um, you know, Craig Berube was fired as the head coach of the Flyers. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of seasons, and I thought, well, gee, he got a raw deal because I thought he was a better coach than that. Well, then the guy went out and won the Stanley Cup this year. So, I mean, it's very conceivable, Bob, that, you know, maybe Gabe Kapler is not right for this team. I mean, look, you can go back and look at Terry Francona. Yeah, as I, manager, know, right? I know, I know. I had a, said this he, to somebody the other day. I don't know. If, have I said this on the show yet? I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> he was a disaster here as a coach. Then went to Boston and won two World Series. Absolutely,
1: and he's been very good in Cleveland yeah, as well. yeah. It it could be two separate issues. I mean, or or two things that are true. Gabe Kapler may be a fine manager. It just may not work here. Right. It it certainly feels like we may be trending that way. I go back to this, and I actually think, and one thing that I'll give Gabe some credit for, especially the first half of last season, was that I don't think that the 2018 Phillies were a very good team. But they found ways to win games despite their flaws. You know, and the numbers suggested that they weren't a very good offense and that they were sort of a smoke and mirrors team. But I do think that sometimes when the manager or you know a team outperforms its talent, you have to kind of give a, a nod to the manager in that situation. And, you know, certainly when the Phillies were good this year, you felt, well, this is in line with the terms or this is in line with the talent that they have. But now I go back and I look at the numbers since June first offensively. And they're 21st in slugging percentage. They're 24th in OPS. They're 28th in batting average as a team at 230. And they're 20th in homers. So these numbers are all either at the bottom of the league rankings or in the the lower third of the league rankings. And again, I go back to this and I say guys just aren't squaring up the baseball. They're not having good at bats. They're not driving the ball. They're not hitting with runners in scoring position. And does that have anything to do with the manager's message? Does that have anything to do with lineup construction? Does that have anything to do with buying into a manager's program? I mean, that's where I begin to struggle, and especially when you look at guys like JT Realmuto, Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, um, players that have, Gene Segura specifically, guys that have a track record of success that are underperforming their career numbers to this extent almost all together at the same time. And I go, is that on the manager? Is that on the message that these guys are so far below what their production should be? How much of that is on the, on the hitting coach? And we had this conversation last last week, and you know, you had said, you kind of think that it, it's really not so much on the hitting coach. It just gets to a point for me where I have a hard time destroying the manager when I see the, the deficiencies in talent, when I see the underperforming across the board offensively. Like, it's not football. It's not like a guard that didn't finish a block because he says, screw it, I don't need to. It's not uh, the, the running back that goes out of bounds after an 8-yard run where he could have put his head down and gotten 11. Or it's not the safety that comes in and, and is willing to lower his head to make a tackle behind the line of scrimmage instead of all laying it. Like, it's not that game. Baseball's not that game. Like, you get in the batter's box, you see a slider, and you hit it. Or you get a fastball on a 2-0 count, and you put a good swing on it. And your your manager yelling fire and brimstone or having emotional intelligence, I don't think should impact a player's ability, especially an established veteran's ability to square up a friggin' baseball. And that's the thing that I struggle with. And I coach, by the way. You know? And and, and I I just don't I don't know. It's like to me, baseball's not that game. And so I have a hard time with this and I feel like It gets a little bit overblown.
0: Okay, well, then I'll – here, let me try and play a little bit of devil's advocate for you then, Bob. Saturday night's game, or Saturday afternoon's game, Gabe gets tossed. Do you think that he he let it get to that point to try and fire up his team?
1: I don't know, but it was a horrendous call.
0: It was a terrible call. Gabe was 100% correct. Kingrey got hit on the hand, didn't swing the bat, should have been a hit by pitch. They said he swung. It was bad. It was a terrible, terrible call. Um, that said, he's had a lot of bad calls in the past and never gotten to the point where he was telling each umpire. And if you go back and watch the replay, he said, "You suck." You he suck. sucks. Yeah. That sucks. He's, uh, he pointed them all out and then he kicked dirt on the guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he had a meltdown on the field. Do, do you think it was my team needs this right now? This is something my team could use. This is a little kick in the pants that they need. They have their heads up their ass a little bit. This, is, this will kind of wake them up. I think there's an element of that. Yeah, sure, he's pissed off that they got the call wrong, right? But the team's struggling. They're losing a bunch of games. Uh, you know what? Let me get myself thrown out of this game and, and see if that wakes them up.
1: I think that's part of it. I think that as a human being, you are having a reasonable amount of success. Right, okay. And then that success stops. Am I right. am I walking right into your trap here?
0: No, it's it's not a trap. It's not a trap. <laughs> because so I I almost
1: look at it more as was he really trying to fire up the team or is he just totally exasperated and frustrated I mean, and knows that people are calling for his job and he's sick of it and so he just snapped.
0: I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think it's both. To be honest with you, but I think it, I I'm not sitting there sitting there saying that he planned in advance. To get himself thrown out of a game, <laughs> you know, for losing in the sixth. <laughs> yeah, <today. laughs> yeah, right. No, yeah. I mean, so, so the, the situation certainly exacerbated it, but I think that it's a situation where, as he's arguing with the umpire, he's getting the sense that okay, I'm taking this on a little bit longer than I normally would because once I do, they're I know they're going to throw me out, and then I'm going to have this big meltdown. Okay, yeah. and that so I think that's where I think there is that thing where you realize and this will help the team. And I, and I tell you why I, be, I believe that that was the case. I believed he did that because they didn't then they then did not respond. They still lost the game and you could see in that press conference afterwards when he was about as terse as I've ever seen him. Okay? He's given non-answers before and he's given flowery bullshit answers before, but that was as terse as he's ever been with the media and with the answers and it was almost like I, I did that and I got nothing back from these, these guys. And that bothered Gabe a lot. Yeah, like that was his trump card.
1: That was the trick up the sleeve. Like, now yep. I'm going to, okay, it's time to un- unleash this tactic. And, and then it didn't work. I mean, right. I, I don't know. It, it, it's, there's not a singular issue with this team. And that's the problem. It's not hustle, it's not the bullpen. It's not the rotation. It's not the underperforming offense. It's not the tactical decisions. It's all of it. Yeah. At the same and, – and not even at the same time. It, it takes turns, right? Like Saturday was the bullpen's day to let everybody down. Uh, Sunday was the starter and yeah, I think combined with the offense again. Friday night, Aaron Nola was as good as Aaron Nola could possibly be in that game. No offense over the week against the the Nationals the bullpen let them down no offense it just it was just it's one thing after another right now and it's going to happen everyone understands there's going to be losing streaks but this thing is spiraling so far out of control the problem is in past podcasts like when we spoke last it was this is a rough stretch and the Phillies are going to make things really difficult for themselves but even then it wasn't like they're running themselves out of contention because, hey, it's only June, but we're starting to now approach that point where if the Phillies have any designs of playing postseason baseball or having a meaningful September slate of games, they've got to fix this now. Like they don't have another week or two weeks to screw around or to kind of just so eh, okay, like we won one out of three here, two out of three here. They have to get hot again, and they have to get hot again right now. And forget acquisitions. Forget the trade deadline. We're trying to make moves to patch up all of the different holes on this team. If they're going to continue to go down this road, and we get to the, like the third week of July, and the Phillies are three or four games under 500, the last thing in the world I want to see is any deadline deal that involves meaning, uh, moving meaningful minor league pieces like Alec Boehm. Like I don't. He <laughs> take his name off the board now. Because Especially that since you your, don't have a
0: third baseman. He's your
1: starting third baseman in 2020. He may be your starting third baseman this September at this rate. So I I just don't think at this point that they would be best served by trying to patch these holes. Like I asked people to fire out questions, and we'll get to them in a little bit, but a lot of those questions were centered around like, well, who would you bring in or what would you do? Right now, nothing. I would continue yeah. to let the ship kind of roll as it is and see if they
0: can self-correct a little bit because if they can't there's no sense. No, you're right. And I and I have a feeling that that's kind of where they are. And it's where Bob. they should be.
1: Smart management would say like this thing ha- they need to show us. Yeah. I mean you can't but, you can't go that, out now and I mean the, the thing is if you're making trades on June 23rd, June 24th, you're paying a premium for them too. Yeah. You know, this is the this is the sellers market
0: at this point. So yeah, but, that said, th- they need to take ownership of what they are ab- upstairs. And uh, uh, you know we we talked about Gabe now two episodes in a row, and you know, yeah, we're on uh, you know different sides of that argument, and that's fine. That's all well and good, but it really has to go upstairs. Klentak and McPhail, and uh, even uh, well, yeah, they they all do. They they all need to be. Uh, called on the carpet here because they've, they've have, they have failed their own team. They have failed their own team in the structuring of this team. They failed it. And they need to come out and, and talk about it. And they need to say something. Because I, 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 want, I want to hear from Middleton. You know he's, he's a lot of talk when, when it's like, oh, I'm going to spend stupid money and bring in all these players and we're going to be great great again. That's great. That's wonderful. But what now, now talk about it when your team's wallowing in mediocrity. Now now, come out. Where are, you, where are you now, John? I mean, that's, that, that's really what I want to – and it's not, I'm not saying that, he, that he is, he's at fault for the way the team is structured, but he's the guy who put the expectation where it was. He's the guy who put it out there that, you know, I'm not, I want to win, and here's what we're going to do to win. We're going to spend all my money to win. And so when you're the owner and you're saying that, you need to now – when things are bad, you need to come out and say something. Something, anything, like you said earlier, even if it's even if it's we're, we're going to stay the course, we believe in our people, you know, at least that you come out and say that. But not, to, to go into radio silence when things are this bad, that, that's not good for the organization. In did, any you, sh- uh, did you any hear sh- any Gabe after the game
1: today? Yeah, I did. So he was asked Friday night when I was down there, you know, what what about your hitting coach specifically? He was asked about the hitting coach, and and he had said we have the right group of coaches, we have the right personnel, and he echoed that sentiment again after the game today. And I mean, I guess as he should, what's he going to say there? Like, no, we're all, we're not hitting. I, I blame my hitting coach. You know, what, what can he what can he honestly say? But he kind of gets into this thing about how we're going to work harder and our pregame work's going to be better. And we're just going to keep grinding and head down. And, and, you know, all the cliches, all the coach speak that you would come to expect in this type of situation. One thing that he said that did stand out to me, though, he talked about how they're going to start implementing curveball machines more during pregame batting practice, uh, how they're thinking about bringing in more live arms for pregame work uh, in the afternoons prior to games. And you go, okay, like, well, I guess, I guess that's good and it, it can't hurt. <laughs> they go to Bryce Harper after the game today, and they say, you know, hey, Gabe, uh, Gabe talked about adding uh, curveball machines and bringing in live arms to get extra looks and, and all that. And Harper goes, I don't really do all that. He said, but if anybody feels that they need extra work, then that's on them. And I just feel like if there was ever a sequence between the coach and player that speaks to what you're kind of talking about right now, it's that. Like, yeah. Harper goes, yeah, I mean, that sounds nice, but like that's not going to fix the issue here. Well, especially you know,
0: especially when the issue is that they can't hit fastballs. Yeah, it's. Right, just, and that's, uh, and that, I, I highly recommend if anybody has a subscription to the uh, uh, to the Athletic, they go and read the story Matt Gelb posted here tonight, Sunday night, um, where they, where he talks about the fact that the Phillies are one of the worst fastballs in the zone hitting team in baseball. It's it's bad. I mean, it's it's really really bad. Uh, and Harper's Harper's at the top of the list. Harper's slugging 579 on fastballs in the zone. Last year was 799, 18, it was 761, 17, it was 778. It's amazing.
1: That's amazing. And, okay. it, and it begs the question, you really wish someone would just give an honest answer as to what's going on. You know, all these players are different individually, obviously, and they're all struggling for a reason on their own. Is there a team-wide flaw that's permeating multiple established hitters? That's what I don't believe. That's yeah. where I, I just I can't figure this out, and I think that that's what miffs so many people. It's one thing when Jorge Alfaro and Nick Williams and Aaron Altair and a rookie Scott Kingery aren't getting it done. It's a different thing when you're talking about JT Romuto, who's 0 for his last 18 and, and hitting a shade above 230 since June 1st. It's Gene Segura, who's 30, 40 points below his, his batting average over the last three or four years. You know, it just you just go all around the numbers you just read about Harper, and you go, what the, what the hell is going on? Especially at a time where Major League Baseball, power numbers are up everywhere. Balls are yeah. flying around, the teams are slugging. Home not runs, here. but not here.
0: <laughs> not here with a bunch of players that you would expect to do it. They've, they've allowed 38 more home runs than they've hit this season, yeah, it's, the Phillies. It's cr- I mean, it's just uh,
1: maybe that's not all that surprising. I mean, you look at the pitching staff, but we had talked about the, the staff depth, how they had four or five guys that kind of profiled as number five starters, but that hasn't really panned out either. It's just You, you could just go – it's hard almost to say focused on, a, on one specific problem when we do this show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we start talking about one thing, and I immediately want to say, and another thing. You yeah, know? Exactly. Like, exactly. We're not even getting to all of the issues here. I mean, no. we, could, we could talk more about this. We could talk about Edibre Ramos and why this team seems to be in love with this guy, you know, up until today when they sent him out for uh, Daniel De Los Santos to make an appearance. I'm sure he'll be back sometime soon, though. I mean they've gone to him in some high leverage spots lately and he hasn't paid off and it's just like it's it just it's crazy. And how about Pat Nishak the other night too? Yeah. Going back on the injured list. I yep. mean <laughs> it's crazy. All it's right, crazy. let's uh let's see here. We are uh, what, we're 45 minutes into the show. Let's get to some questions. Are you ready for this? Yeah. All right, let's do it here. So uh hmm there were some uh, there were some decent ones here. Let's start with uh, Dan. We got Harrison's dad at Harrison's dad, and he says if the trade deadline was the end of June instead of the end of July, would you guys be buyers versus sellers?
0: Uh, we actually just touched
1: on this a little bit. I would wholeheartedly be a seller, or at the very least, Stamp pat.
0: Yeah, I would probably stand pat. I don't, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know if I would sell. I mean, what are you selling? I mean they they don't have anything to sell. <laughs> like
1: what are you selling?
0: You know, Jay you wanna Bruce. get creative,
1: you wanna get real weird? Uh you yeah, maybe Jay Bruce to a team that could use that left handed bat off the bench. Yeah. Uh you wanna get crazy? Like really crazy? This would take some balls. I know you gave up a lot for him, but have you got some kind of like insane package for the catcher?
0: Uh yeah. I don't know if I can do that yet. I yeah, I
1: know. I this is more of like a July twenty third conversation when yeah, they're ten games I, under five hundred, but I don't uh, think
0: I can I don't think I can do that yet. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah.
1: Just something to think about. Put that in your brain. Yeah. No, Marinate on that for the next four weeks.
0: Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if they're in the same if if they're in this same spot on July thirty first, I I'm not I'm probably standing pat then too because I just don't see it.
1: I have to say I don't know. Would you call yourself a Phillies fan? Or would you call yourself a uh, member of the media that, no, I'm that a fan. prefers I, the Phillies and I, takes I, an objective look at them?
0: I, ab- I abandoned the journalistic end of things in, you know, more than a decade ago. I was given the opportunity to cover this team, mm-hmm. um, and I decided not to because it was the one sport that I really kind of enjoyed being a fan of the sport and you know, you know, taking my kids down to the games and stuff like that. It doesn't mean I can't have an opinion and talk about it, but at the same time, I, like, I didn't want to be that member of the media for baseball. Um, it has
1: calmed me down considerably, you know, when you are there yeah, yeah. and yeah, you have to be around it, it, yeah. it does change the way you think about things. Yeah, you know? that,
0: that, that doesn't necessarily mean. So that's the one thing that I never um, I, and I agree with you that with that. But the one thing that I never did was I never let the fact that, oh, well, I got to be here all the time. And so I'm, I better be I better temper my opinion. Right. Because I never would do that. And I know that there are right. guys who who have done that. And I used to get – I got into an argument once with a coworker um who was covering the Phillies. And I wrote it – and I was a columnist at the time. And I wrote a column, you know, a negative column about the Phillies, the way they were playing. But I didn't go down to the game the next day. And, like, he had a meltdown that I wasn't there. If you write a negative column – you wrote, wrote it, now for, i got to
1: go stand down there type well, of I, thing. I,
0: yeah. yeah, but you know what? You, you know what? That's <laughs> – you're not me, so you don't have to take you don't have to take what I you know take abuse for something that I wrote. And if I'm not down there at the next very next day, oh, oh well. I mean, my job was to write a column, so that's what I did. Now I eventually got down there, and if people had questions and wanted to talk about it, I always was open to talk about it. But the, you know, that's the thing. Like I would, it's never the the thought that oh, you can't. You got to be careful because people are going to get upset. I don't. It's not my job to worry about who gets upset and who doesn't get upset.
1: I, I hear you. The, the reason I say it is because, you know, you, you're down there. You're a professional. You're trying to right. – you, you're keeping that certain level of professionalism. But I will tell you this. There are guys that go, well, like I used to be a Phillies fan, but now that I do this, I'm not. Like I am. Like I want these guys to succeed. Like I right. want – there's a part of me that – the little I've interacted with Gabe Kapler, I find him to be a likable guy. Like I want him to do well. I want JT Romuto to do well. I'm rooting for Reese Hoskins. I think that Bryce Harper is a a, a cool guy. Like I I think that he has a chance to make a, a really big imprint in the city's sports landscape over the next decade. I'd like to see him do that. Uh, I'd like to see Gene Segura hit three hundred. And I would have liked to have seen Michael Franco not hit two oh five this year. Like, on an individual basis, I, I, by default, like, I inherently would like to see these guys succeed. And that's why it's, uh, it's hard to have that conversation where we say, like, would you be buyers or sellers? Because I didn't think we would be having this conversation. I know that we both identified the flaws in this team and we said, you know, hold on. And I know that in the beginning of the season, we talked about them being like an 85-86 win team. So you and I weren't, you know, uh, making parade plans or anything like that, even back in April when things were going well. But at the same time, I didn't think we'd be having this conversation either. And that's nope. why it's, if you could hear me in this, in this podcast seem a little bit more animated, it's because I didn't expect this. And it's, it's upsetting, honestly. No, none of us expected it's, it's, this. It sucks.
0: None of us expected
1: this. It it does. It does yeah, suck. This is too much. Um. All right. Next question. We got uh, cousin Mosebro, All right. Carne B or Carneb. I don't. I don't know how he would pronounce his uh, Twitter handle. This guy. But uh, do they turn it around or is this the season we're watching now? Uh, I know you said that they're certainly done in the NL East. I, I guess I have a hard time in light of what we've recently seen arguing any differently. I would tell you that I don't think this season's over. There's some part of me and maybe it's just the eternal optimist in me, but I do think that there's going to be a bounce back here where we're talking about the playoffs in August and maybe September, but it looks like it might be a wild card type of thing.
0: Yeah. I I think, I don't think the season, I don't think this is, you know, they're going to continue to lose at this rate. Um, uh, But I also don't think that there's a major turnaround coming. I think, at most, Bob, I'm, I'm going to sit here and tell you that at most they, you know, they they win another, what's their record? 39-38? Yes. They they win at most another 45 games in the rest of the season. So what is that? What is 84? That? Yeah. Okay.
1: So you're like yeah. two games off of where you
0: were in the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I yeah. think that they're going to come in below what I said yeah. at the beginning of the year, uh, which is fine. But I think that that's roughly where they're going to be the rest of the year. That, does that mean that they're going to be a disaster? No, Just, they're going to be a little bit above 500. Um, and that's probably what they're going how they're going to finish out the year. And will that keep them in the wild card race? It will. Does it guarantee that they're going to get a spot? No. But they'll be in the – so, yeah, there'll be discussion. There'll be playoff discussion. Hey, if they win this series, they'll, you know, there'll only be a game out, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. I mean, we'll be doing a lot of that, sure. But I don't I do know. I don't think that there's anything to be really, really excited about. Well, speaking of not being of really season.
1: excited, we have a guy named uh, A.J. Gelson, uh-huh. and he says, this season's 100% over. This isn't even a question. He just decided to chime in. Yeah. They have zero chance of making up six and a half games on the Braves. You all know it in your heart. Thank you, AJ. Uh, you want Gritty Gritty, all right? Uh, ah. F. Barber Jr. says, How realistic is it for the Phillies to become sellers? Could we move Arietta at the deadline? I guess when we were talking earlier about guys that you could possibly move, that would be a name. Uh, again, I think you have to sort of evaluate how the next four or five weeks go. Certainly, uh, we agree that it is somewhat realistic for the Phillies to become sellers if things don't change. Uh, we have George, GMC7173. Something has to be done, not sure what, but what can be done to spark the team. Okay. So what can be done to spark the team? Injuries happen, maybe not getting to the playoffs happen, but this is a dumpster fire. Is there one thing that the Phillies... Let me ask the question in a different way, Anthony. If you were in charge of the Phillies, what would you do? What's the one thing that you would go to now to try to spark
0: the team? Yeah, I I don't necessarily know if there's one specific thing, but I think what you can do is you can you could start holding people accountable, right? And, and not to say that that's, you know, uh, it has to do with hustle. It could be the way that they're playing, their overall bad play overall uh, in the last however many games, whatever. And maybe you maybe you bench a guy or two or you sit, you know, yeah. not to say that you want to really start Sean Rodriguez or Andrew Knapp or, you know, whatever. But, I mean, you, maybe you send a message in that regard, you know, or, or – or, you know you you make a change in the in the uh you know organization somewhere it doesn't have to be the manager it could be something as as innocuous as as one of the assistant coaches like whatever i mean you, you send them if the message needs to be sent to the team not necessarily the fans and so how do you do that what what can you do to kind of make them wake the hell up that's what, we're, what you're looking for. So it's good. It, it, There's nothing specific. It's baseball, right? There's not like you can sit there and say, well, we're going to change the, st- the system that we play. I mean, the only thing you can really do in that regard is sit there and say, okay, well, we're going to kind of go against the, our, our uh, data-driven approach. That's the only thing. And, you you know, the Red Sox did it at the end of last year and they won them a World Series. So maybe, maybe you do that. But, I mean, that would – if I say – come out and say that, then it's just like, oh, here's the old guy saying we should stop listening to the analytics again. Um, So I'm not saying that specifically. I'm just saying that, you know, there are things you can do that aren't going to really, you know – be seen by the public and, and, and try and get the team to go in the right direction. Or you can go, you know, you can go scorched earth and fire people. You All can, right. You know.
1: Well, so actually off of that, so uh, our, our co-worker, we'll call him Tim Riley, who writes for the site when he appears, it's very, very good stuff. He said, what are uh, some concrete changes that you would make? Is there one thing, I mean, you kind of, I would say, ran through the, the philosophical things that you could do. Is there one thing you would do? say like this is the move i'm making whether it be fire the hitting coach fire the manager um, uh, cut a player mm. i i have a thing and i'm not going to say it yet i'm going to wait a week because i just want to make sure that it's the right thing to say but it's about one specific player and i just can't do it anymore and if you look in our slack you'll know who it is
0: <laughs> okay um I don't, know. I don't know if there's a concrete thing. Wow, that's a good question, Tim Riley. Me I mean, they're it. just – I think that this to make is the problem th- because in, in seasons think- when
1: things don't go well, you'd say, yes, <laughs> I would make this guy the closer or I would make this man the fifth starter or I would absolutely acquire this pitcher on the trade market. Like that is – it's just – there is no concrete thing you can do right now.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: unless it's fire the manager.
0: Yeah, I mean that's so concrete. I mean, or make or make a trade for an upgrade somewhere. I mean, that's the only like concrete stuff you can. can I almost think that the trade
1: would have to not only help in terms of talent, but it would almost have to be one of those jolt type of trades where, like, yo, we got player X. This is going to bring a new dimension to the clubhouse. Like, I think you almost need a trade like
0: that. Yeah, which I don't know exists. Well, I mean, I'll I'll tell you one you can do that. Would improve the team, but would have a that would have an impact in that locker room. What if you trade, for, you know, whatever, and you don't have to spend a lot because we're just talking about a backup catcher. But what if you what if you went and got a new backup catcher somewhere, and you just dumped Andrew Knapp completely? Don't even send him back to the minors. You just outright release. Did you look at the Slack? No, I did not. Okay, well, is that what's it? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Is that was I did I get it right? Uh-huh. Um, so I mean the, the thought process there is is that he's a, such a well liked person in that clubhouse that if you do that if you send out a guy that is you know across the board liked by so many people then that maybe maybe that makes the you know and, and this sort of out.
1: draws back to what I was saying earlier in the show like you don't want people to lose their jobs you're not. It, but at right. the same time, I mean, you just look at his numbers. His at bats are just,
0: and <sighs> they're non-competitive at bats. I don't know why. I don't know why he went back to him this year. I I thought he was bad last year. Yeah, he, well, he was. He had a
1: stretch, I would say, in July where he actually got pretty hot, and you thought to yourself, okay not that he's going to stay at this level but he's at least made himself serviceable as a hitter and then towards the end of the season like pretty much everybody else on the team that started to drop off and and I don't know um, but he he plays you know i mean is as, as, as much as JT Real Muto is this iron man and you know he he doesn't come out of the lineup like a lot of other catchers do the backup catcher plays more than than he, You know, you can't have a guy that's hitting 130, 140 or whatever he's at at this point uh, and and be this prominent of a player in your everyday lineup. And because the bench sucks, Andrew Knapp gets a lot of pinch hit opportunities, whereas a lot of other teams aren't going to use their backup catcher as a pinch hitter unless it's uh, the ninth inning or an extra inning game. But you see Andrew Knapp pretty regularly featured as a pinch hitting option which yeah, is not good. No. You know, bad. and again, situation, do I want him to do well? Yes. Would I like Andrew Knapp to be a 270 backup catcher? Catch? Absolutely. But it, it hasn't happened, and it, and it hasn't been good now for multiple seasons. So, no. yeah, I mean, it's something I think that that's an
0: area that they, they would have to look at at this point. Yeah, and I think that that could be something that shakes off the lock, that clubhouse.
1: All right, let's do uh, let's do one more. Go ahead. <laughs> this is a good question, uh, Matt Walsh. I am not gonna like we. I don't want to get into this conversation tonight, but why does this organization feel so far behind many other organizations in terms of player development? Lack of depth, in my opinion, is a bigger problem than the manager. I agree with that. You agree with that too? I yep. think. Yep. All right, let's do this one because it mixes in your uh, other area of expertise. This is from Matt W Lebo. Okay uh chances this mirrors the flyer shakeup, where the gm gets the axe because he doesn't want to fire his manager or are we not yet at that point
0: yeah i don't think i don't think we're there yet matt um because gabe's only been here a year and a half you know, the flyer situation was a little bit different because dave haxtell was there for You know, four seasons, and and it was the same thing year after year, game after game. You know, uh, for a long period of time, and the GM got fired for reasons other than just the coach. Um, But uh, but no, I think I think that I don't think Klentak should be fired because he won't fire Gabe. I think Klentak's got to answer a lot of other questions, and if he doesn't answer them well. And I don't necessarily mean just in an interview. I mean, you know, respond to the failure of the team and figure out a solution. If he doesn't answer those problems, then I could start to have the the thought that maybe he's not the right guy for that job. Yeah, but that so yeah. I mean, I mean that's that's how I view it. I I don't necessarily think it's tied into just yet. Just because there's a large faction of fans who want to see the manager get fired, I I don't think that we should then say, "Well, he won't." The general manager's not firing the manager, so let's get rid of the general manager. Not for that reason, anyway. Yeah, Uh, it's it's funny as we're talking. This guy just commented
1: on my. My uh, tweet from earlier, where I said, you know, people sometimes I think are a little quick to want to fire people and have them lose jobs. And he says, get real. Kapler has to go. The players quit on him, period. And, like, if you could create an avatar for a Phillies fan, like a profile picture for a Phillies fan that would say that, it's, yeah. it's this guy. <laughs> like, it just – this is this is like my dad. You know, like that's my, my dad calls. He's like, did the Phillies win today? I said, no. And he goes – My dad's like 73, by the way. And he goes, I know they didn't. He's like, you know why? Because the manager's a loser. (laughs) He (laughs) said, you're going to go on your podcast again this week and defend them? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yep.
0: Thanks for checking in, Dad. I have a feeling your dad likes me better than you. He he might, yeah. He (laughs) might.
1: Uh, Then I say exactly what I just tweeted back at this guy. Like, maybe they can sign Larry Boa and show him how to play the hard Philly way. You know, I don't know. I just – I'm so tired of this. This sucks. This is so friggin' miserable. Uh, All right. So that's all I got. We got the Mets coming in, and uh, if you think the Phillies are a dumpster fire –
0: yeah, you can things. always
1: count on the New York Mets to do you one better. Did you, did you hear this story today after the game? Go ahead. What do you got? So I'll give you the lead here from the ESPN.com article. New York Mets manager Mickey Calloway shouted profanities at a Newsday reporter in the clubhouse Sunday, and starting pitcher Jason Vargas challenged the reporter to a fight and had to be strained from going after him. That's what I want to see. I want to see the players start going Uh, after the reporters. That way you know they care about their manager. The incident came after the Mets' bullpen blew a 3-2 lead in the eighth inning of what ended as a 5-3 loss to the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Reporters asked repeatedly after the game about Callaway's decision to stick with reliever Seth Lugo during the eighth inning instead of going to closer Edwin Diaz. Lugo allowed a go-ahead three-run homer to Javier Baez. This is the, uh, the money part. After the news conference, Callaway walked past Newsday's Tim Healy in the clubhouse. Healy told Callaway he would see you tomorrow, and Callaway responded by calling him a motherfucker. (laughs) Callaway instructed members of the team's public relations staff to escort Healy from the clubhouse, telling him to get this motherfucker out of here, according to multiple reporters present. At that point, that's when Vargas said, "Uh, I'll knock you the F out. I don't know why I just censored myself after two F-bombs, but I'll... You know, I don't want to pile on here. I'll (laughs) knock you the F out, bro, Vargas said to the reporter. Um, Noah Sindergaard and Carlos Gomez had to hold Vargas back. And then, of course, because that's ridiculous and the reporter really didn't do anything wrong, the Mets had to issue a statement that said the Mets sincerely regret the incident that took place with one of our beat writers following today's game in the clubhouse. We don't condone this, et cetera, et cetera. Apparently, Mets management is going to be present ahead of the Phillies game tomorrow to kind of try to clean up this disaster. Ah, beautiful. So, you have two absolute disasters of baseball teams playing one another at Citizens Bank Park for a four-game set. I like the Phillies tomorrow. I like the Phillies this week. I think the Phillies are going to get three out of four in this one. What do you think?
0: I think they split. Okay,
1: great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you
1: want me to be honest. I know. I mean, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I think, now. We'll say, I think yeah. they split with the yeah, Mets. We'll see. Maybe uh, the Mets will wake them up. We'll see.
0: Who knows? And then They got to go down to Florida and play the Marlins again before the Braves. I mean – the revenge series against the Marlins. I could see them. I could see them taking two out of three down there. You know, and so uh, so let's just say. I mean, uh, look. I, here's me, Mr. Pessimistic, and I'm just telling you right now that I have them at four and three in their next seven. Yeah, and what if they? before they. they, like, before they play I got the five and two this week. I got five and two going back down to Atlanta. Okay. Uh, does either one mean anything? <laughs> like I, I don't know, because I don't think they're going to beat the Braves. So. Uh, <laughs> Whether four and three or five and two, either one doesn't matter to me because I don't think I don't think that they're gonna make make up any ground. I I uh, okay. agree
1: with that. I just uh, and people are probably going five and two. Like what what have I seen over the last two weeks that would even indicate five and two is possible? I just think the ebb and flow of baseball. I mean, bad baseball teams go through stretches like this and then they they get hot for a little bit. So. I just think something's got to give here. I don't. I don't see the Phillies losing. I guess they lost the final game before they went on that last road trip, so they've lost four in a row at home now. Like yeah. I, this is a team that's played really well at home over the last two seasons. It's hard for me to imagine they're going to lose five, six in a row at home. The Mets stank. I'm sorry. I just feel like this is this is the time that they kind of rebound. Not because I believe they're winning the World Series or that they're a great team or they're going to win one for Gabe. I just think they're. They're going to kind of ebb in the other direction now
0: I, I mean I could see them having a, a like I said, I have them four and three because I could, I could see them yeah, this is rock bottom, and you, you can only go up from here yeah. right but uh, but I don't think it's going to be a, a like this vast turnaround that they're suddenly going to start winning a bunch of games either i I think that they get back to being you know winning a couple but not really winning everything, so
1: who do we have on the mound tomorrow night Did we, uh, do we have that? I actually Arietta Arie- tomorrow? Uh, it's going to be Stephen Matz. Oh God, I hate Stephen Matz. He sucks. Uh, versus Zach Eflin. Oh, Eflin's tomorrow. Yeah. Arietta. and then it'll then be Pivetta. Arietta, and then and uh, and then, then Noah. So yeah. they got you know. So it lines up fairly well. I mean, here's who they're facing. They're going Stephen Matz, Walter Lockett, uh, Jason Vargas, and Zach Wheeler. I mean, these are favorable matchups for the Phillies. So it, it's yeah. It's they don't. Now's the time.
0: Yeah, you're
1: not getting uh, Degrom. You're not getting Cindergard, who I believe is hurt. Right. Yeah. yeah i think he yeah. I think he hurt himself uh, so uh yeah. so here we are, yeah, wonderful all right, well, good stuff,
0: you're going out to Seattle right I'm headed to Seattle tomorrow afternoon, okay, uh so cool. I probably won't see well i mean i might i mean it depends on depends on what the uh you know it'll be seven o'clock here before i mean I'll still be working yeah <laughs> so when the Phillies game starts, but uh you know i have my my hulu live. On my phone and on my computer, so Uh maybe I'll be able to check in on a part of the games at least uh, this week. I'll be down at the
1: stadium for uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then I'm out. I won't catch Thursday's game because I have the rehearsal rehearsal dinner dinner on Thursday night, and then I'm getting married on Friday.
0: Nice. So... Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. Uh, best of luck to you. And uh, the funny thing about it is, is that, you know, you told me you're not going on your honeymoon until end of July. Correct. Is that we'll be a week from now, you know, you'll be a freshly married man and we'll be talking baseball.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we'll just be back here doing it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just jumping right back. We're going to do a frame. day in Annapolis because I'm a South Jersey guy. I live in Blackwood. Uh, right. I trust our podcast listeners to be like, okay, that's fine. The commenters on CrossingBroad.com, I would never tell them where I live because I feel like they would show up <laughs> at my door. Uh, but yeah, so I live in Blackwood, New Jersey, which is a fine town. Uh, I've lived here for for a long time, but I, there was just something about getting married one day and then and then coming back to Blackwood, New Jersey the next morning that just didn't quite fit right. So we're going to do a day in Annapolis, kind of stretch out the weekend a little bit. So.
0: Good for you. That'll be fun. I need a break. That'll be fun.
1: I need a break. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, good stuff. That's
1: awesome. All right, man. Well, uh, that'll wrap it up. We'll we'll try again next week. Uh, We'll probably aim for a. uh, I I like the Sunday. I really do. I like the Sunday show. So we'll see. But uh, you know, sometime beginning of next week, we'll get it going again.
0: Sounds good, Bob. All right, man.
1: Have a good one. Uh, Do we? uh, We got to do all the shows. I don't. Do we really need to do the shows at this point? Like. Crossing Broadcast, got to listen to Crossing Broadcast with Kevin Kincaid and Russ Joy. It's always soccer in Philadelphia, Kevin Kincaid. Uh, crossing Broad FC, Russ Joy, Phil Kaidel, Broadlines coming soon, maybe, possibly. Kyle Scott, maybe me, uh, maybe Jason Zernicki. That's it, right? How did I do? Make sure that you like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. We didn't get any five-star
0: reviews this week, did we? You, for- you forgot one show, but that's okay.
1: Well, oh, oh, and of course,
0: snow the goalie. That's all right. No, it's fine. You can, you know, you could forget my show. No
1: post draft <laughs> talk for you and Russ this well, week, we'll, huh? So
0: we were going to, but then we were supposed to record tonight as well. But uh, Russ's son had a mild injury ah. today at the okay. house and all had right. to go to urgent care. So yeah, kind of went through the time that we would have had to be able to record. So yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to push that one off. And I'm not, I'm not taking the microphone with me on the plane. <laughs> so can't blame you. It's not happening until next week.
1: Well, there you go. Make sure that you like and subscribe to all of those uh, on Spotify now as well. And make sure that you're leaving five-star reviews and all that other good stuff on those shows as well. Yep. All right. That'll do it, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Have a good one.